My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Descent. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 40 of Informed Descent, the podcast where we push back against the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. I hope you're doing well and staying sane in these crazy times. So this week, I want to discuss what's been going on with Scott Adams, the clear double standard surrounding his comments and the larger implication of what he's saying. And I also want to talk about the Hershey's campaign to honor women by putting a man dressed as a woman on its candy bar wrappers and also Daily Wire's response, which is hilarious. And then our site concept of the week is Kafka Trap which is Ibram X. Kendi's favorite weapon, and we'll talk about how he loves to use it. And for our This is Sparta culture segment, we'll talk a little bit about the world of animation, because I'm currently trying to learn Adobe Animate, and guys, it is not easy. But all right, let's get into it. Narrative number one, Scott Adams is a racist bigot who needs to be canceled. Oh, man. Okay. So Scott Adams, the creator of the comic Dilbert, has created a firestorm by essentially advocating for racial self-segregation, seemingly, in this video that's been floating around social media. And I don't know, man. I'll get into my thoughts, but Scott is hard to read sometimes. And I've said that before. Like he, He says some things that, well, I'll talk about it here in a second. But anyway, here, here's what he said. If you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the away from black people. Just get the away. Wherever you have to go, just get away because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed, right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where, you know, I have a very low black population because unfortunately there, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when, when he notes that the, when he lived in a, uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I, I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm, I'm going uh, to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life and I've been, the only outcome is I, be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help black Americans if you're white. Uh, the, the, it's over. Don't, don't even think it's worth trying. Totally not trying. 
But those who don't want to focus on education, you just need to get away from them. Just get as much distance as you can. That's my recommendation. Um, And I'm also really sick of seeing video after video of black Americans beating up non-black citizens. Um, You know, I realize it's anecdotal, and it doesn't give me a a full picture of what's happening, but every day I look on social media and there's some black person beating the out of some white person. I'm kind of over it. I'm over it. So I I quit. So... On the surface, it sounds bad, right? But Scott does this sort of dry humor, sarcasm, trolling people kind of thing on a regular basis. Like, I remember during COVID, he said some outlandish stuff about the vaccines and lockdowns. And then a day later, he was taking the opposite position and making fun of people because no one knew what he actually believed. (laughs) Like, so, I mean, he does strange stuff sometimes. And that's that said, I don't like what he did here in terms of generalization, regardless of his motives. But a few things need to be pointed out. First, what he said about the hateful attitudes, the criminality issues, the violence, etc. All of that is correct. He's right about that. There is a culture that promotes degeneracy and hatred of other racial groups. And that includes not only white people, but Latinos, Asians, Jews, etc., And the hatred thing is not made up. It's a real thing. This disdain for white people specifically is open and unapologetic. I've heard it. I heard it growing up from friends and even some of my own family members. I won't call them out specifically in this podcast, but anti-white sentiment is not uncommon. And what's so jarring about it is it's, it's so casual. They'll just denigrate white people as easily as discussing the weather. And, and this is why I wonder if Scott is trolling here, because there is a clear double standard that is happening. Scott had his comment canceled by all of these newspapers, and all of these people are disassociating from him because of what he said. But there are black people who say these things all the time. There, there are black people who regularly talk about the need to get away from white people, the need to have their own businesses and their own spaces and their own national anthem. Right. There's constant talk about how dangerous whiteness is and how black people are not safe to be around white people. It's the same rhetoric. Black people need black doctors. Black students need black teachers. The entire premise of anti-racism and critical race theory is that the very existence of white people is a threat to black people. And yet Scott is the one who gets canceled, canceled by companies who will hire diversity consultants to come in and tell all their white employees how racist they are. No one sees the disconnect. It's perfectly acceptable in our society to hate white people, but it's not acceptable at all for white people to protest being hated. But look, like I said, I I don't like what Scott is suggesting here, mainly because he's making the mistake of conflating race and culture which is the foundation of racism. You know, people look at cultural behaviors and attitudes and then use race as a stand-in to identify people who belong to that culture and therefore harbor 
these terrible behaviors and attitudes. Because a small percentage of black people subscribe to a culture of degeneracy and violence. Shall we conclude that black people as a race are degenerate and violent? Of course not. Such generalizations are ridiculous. But that's the kind of rhetoric Scott was using here, and it's an, it entirely undercuts whatever point he was trying to make. But again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if Scott actually believes this or not. But I've often expressed concern that our race obsession in this country would end up driving these kinds of attitudes. I mean, how long can you beat someone over the head with a cudgel until they finally say enough and start hitting back? How long can CRT and anti-racism and BLM or whatever anti-white hate movements? Because that's what they are. They're anti-white hate movements. But how long can they continue to bully white people and demand that they bow down and kiss the boots of non-white people before they start to despise the people making them do it? And some, not all, but some will inevitably determine that the problem is not with the activists and the race hustlers, but with the entire race itself. So what you've done is you have not solved racism at all. In fact, you have effectively created more racism, more racial animosity, more racial resentment, where it didn't previously exist. Congratulations. And some may wonder if that's not the intended goal. You know, this is why I'm such a staunch advocate for individualism and colorblindness. Racial identity obsession leads to enmity 100% of the time. When you decide that immutable characteristics like skin color define a person, and not only that, but that they define a person so deeply that you can make value judgments about them based on their skin color, the only possible outcome can be enmity and hostility as the groups find themselves pitted against each other. That's even if we didn't have the problematic racial history that we have in this country. You add in that emotional baggage, and my goodness, there cannot possibly be a positive outcome here. So I wish Scott would have focused on cultural problems that yield these attitudes and behaviors which are destructive and which people should avoid. He would be correct. Instead, overgeneralizing into race and making decisions on the basis of race is definitionally racist. And I understand the double standard, and maybe he's making that point. Maybe. I don't know. But it's racist no matter who does it. And we cannot allow ourselves to see the world that way. Now, I don't think he should be canceled or have his career destroyed, but I do think we have to stop seeing the world this way and we have to move away from this sort of collective thinking. It has to stop. You know, one other thing I find interesting as an aside is that people like Ibram X. Kendi, for example, who we'll talk about later on in this episode, but These people spend so much time insisting that America is so extremely racist and that white supremacy is interwoven into the fabric of our society. But yet someone like Scott Adams gets immediate blowback for his comments. And he's not even remotely close to being the only one. 
I mean, people like Megyn Kelly got excoriated for even suggesting that wearing darker makeup as a kid as part of a costume was maybe okay. Nope, canceled. That that girl from The Bachelor and and the host of The Bachelor, they they both got booted because she attended an antebellum party and the host merely asked that she be given grace. Nope, canceled. Post the black square on Instagram. Raise your fist in solidarity. Bend the knee to the ideology or else. That's pretty strange for a white supremacist society, no? And it's pretty strange that these people who are supposedly oppressed somehow have the power to destroy the lives of the people who criticize them. Has there ever been another oppressed group in history who's been able to do this? I mean, just the very fact that there are severe consequences for even hinting at something that may be deemed racist will get the mob coming after you. What kind of white supremacist society is that? And additionally, the people who are supposedly oppressed have absolutely no fear of their supposed oppressors. No fear whatsoever. To the point that they will openly be disdainful toward them, openly mock them, and exhibit outright hostility toward them. Again, is this the behavior of an oppressed group? Has it ever been the behavior of an oppressed group? If we, if we look at groups who are oppressed throughout history, is this how they behave toward their supposed oppressors? And you think, if, if there's some ferocious man-eating beast, like, I don't know, a lion or something, and it's rampaging and killing all kinds of people in some village somewhere, and the people are powerless to stop it. They don't have any effective weapons. They can't get away from it. All they can do is hope that the lion just leaves them alone. That's what oppression is like, right? Completely powerless and at the mercy of some malevolent force. That's oppression. In that scenario, would it make sense for the villagers to go out and taunt the lion? Slap it around? Tell it what to do like a dog? Would that be the expected behavior? I mean, would anyone actually believe that the lion was terrorizing anyone if they saw it being treated that way and it didn't react? (laughs) It makes no sense. It's it's just weird. I mean, it kind of undermines the whole we're so oppressed narrative if you're the one bullying people into submission. And I mean, it's quite a system of white supremacy when it has to operate clandestinely and invisibly or else white people will have negative consequences like losing their jobs and having their comics canceled. How does that make sense? White supremacy is so powerful that it can't even operate in the open. Yeah, okay. Yeah, as we all know, none of this needs to make any sense, right? It's all about emotions. But back to Scott Adams, just to finish this thought. It's all just a natural consequence of collectivist thinking, right? It's where the logic leads if the group becomes more important than the individual. And that's why individualism is so important. And I say it all the time. And I'm going to keep saying it. We have to find a way as a society to move past race and see each other as individuals, as human beings. That is the solution. Collective guilt and collective victimhood need to die for good. If we're serious about moving into a society where race doesn't matter, 
then we have to start living our lives like race doesn't matter. Narrative number two, we should celebrate men who want to be women for Women's History Month. Gee, shit never ends, man. This gender stuff is out of control. So I guess we'll just pick up where we left off last week with Matt Walsh and Jack Phillips and keep it moving because now, predictably, it's Women's History Month and March 8th is International Women's Day. So naturally, people think it's perfectly acceptable to celebrate men who want to be women. That makes sense. And now Hershey's has decided to launch a campaign with this person whose name is apparently Faye Johnstone and who's a man, but they've launched this campaign putting him in their marketing and on the on the wrapper of their candy bars. And they're calling the campaign her she. Hershey. H E R S H E. Hershey. You cannot be serious. Here's the video that's been circulating social media. My name is Faye Johnstone. I'm the executive director of Wisdom to Action. We can create a world where everyone is able to live in public space as their honest and authentic selves. See the woman changing how we see the future at Hershey's Canada. No more Hershey's, I guess. Just add it to the list. Add it to the list of companies we're not going to do business with anymore. We're not going to buy from anymore. Add it to the boycott list. We got, I, yeah, see, this is what I was talking about last episode. People get all bent out of shape when this stuff gets dragged. How could you hate someone for being different? No, we don't hate this person. We aren't being cruel. We aren't attacking this person for living their life how they want to. But when a clearly mentally ill man is shoving his delusions in our face with the help of a multi-billion dollar corporation, and we're supposed to just accept both that he's a woman and that this campaign is celebrating women, then no, no, it, 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 it will and should get pushback. We refuse to accept that. Just like Dylan Mulvaney and that activist who sued Jack Phillips, these people are not just trying to live their lives. It's not live and let live. They are profiting off the madness, attempting to normalize it and, and spread it through intentional propaganda, and it needs to be called out. It needs to be rejected. No more of this insanity. Also, how women are putting up with this is beyond me. I don't understand it. How are women supporting this? It erases women. It reduces womanhood to a costume, to a caricature. People like Dylan and this Faye person have no clue whatsoever what it means to be a woman. They have no idea. They can't. It's not possible. They are not biologically capable of comprehending what it's like to be a woman. They cannot possibly know because they are men. They're men. So the only thing they can do is put on a costume. The only thing they can possibly do is play pretend. Imagine what it might be like to be a woman and then act the part. They are actors in a delusional play. Yeah, it, it reminds me of actors who clearly have no clue what the Holy Ghost is or how it operates. 
and they try to imitate Christians who speak in tongues or, and, or praise God by dancing around with their hands in the air. And they look and sound ridiculous, not even re- remotely what the real thing looks and sounds like. It's utterly contrived, and you can tell. You can tell that they don't know. And I think that's true for most things that people are experts in and actors try to try to imitate. I hear police officers complain all the time about how actors portray cops on TV and, you know, and all, all the things that they get wrong. It's because the actors are not police officers. <laughs> they're, in, they're acting. They're pretending to be police officers in imaginary circumstances. None of it is real. It's all make-believe. And, and that, that isn't even a great analogy because actors at least have the capability of learning enough to truly understand what it's like to be the person they're pretending to be. They could actually even take on that character's profession if they wanted to. Not so with gender. A man can learn to speak in tongues and he, and he can learn to be a police officer, but no matter how badly he wants to, No matter how much surgery or hormones he undertakes or how much he attempts to trick other people, he can never become a woman. It's surreal, man. It it really is. it, It feels like the whole world has just gone mad. The collective mind of our society is is broken. It's broken. It's sick. We have a collective mental illness. I really feel like we're being forced to participate in this grand delusion. The emperor is fully and regally dressed. Guys, what do you mean he has no clothes? It's maddening. It's surreal. And these companies, you know, it would be one thing if it was just like a small group of people who were yelling at the sky and we could just be like, you know, something is wrong with them. Just keep walking. And that would be the end of it. But no. This stuff is everywhere. Major corporations are pushing it, have been pushing it. Colleges and universities, it's in our entertainment, our public schools, our government. Ah, but alas, I repeat myself. You just wonder how so many people are bamboozled into this madness. Yeah, I work in a nursing home and I deal with dementia patients and psych patients on a daily basis. And these people have some wild delusions. Every day. It would be insane for the nursing home to start treating those delusions as if they were reality and incorporate them into their policy and their marketing and then force everybody to go along with these delusions as if they're truth. It would be unconscionable for that to happen. Can you imagine? I mean, a psych patient claiming something completely off the wall like she's Queen Victoria or something. And the nursing home puts her in charge legitimately and makes everyone subject to her whims. (laughs) Can you imagine if they sent out serious marketing to the families of potential residents announcing that this nursing home is the residence of Queen Victoria? (laughs) It seems silly, but that's exactly what's happening right now. It's exactly what Hershey is doing. This psych patient is telling everyone that he's a woman and Hershey's like, you know what? Maybe you are. Let's celebrate Women's History Month and International Women's Day. Maybe you are a woman. Maybe you are Queen Victoria. Let's bend the knee to your every whim and call anyone who criticizes you a hateful bigot. It's the same. 
And one positive and hilarious thing that's come from this is the Daily Wire, seizing on the moment, has created candy bars called He, Him, and She, Her in response to the Hershey campaign. So Daily Wire is not just a news company or podcast network company or film studio or kids entertainment studio or razor company. Oh, no. Now they're also chocolatiers. They are officially a candy company. Check the promo. International Women's Day is upon us again. And I love an international woman. But our friends over at Hershey's, they don't even know what a woman is. They've hired a biological male to be the spokesperson for their Women's Day campaign. And they're calling that campaign, and I swear I'm not making this up, her, she. Her, she. It's humiliating. And it's the reason that I'm launching Jeremy's Chocolate. We have two kinds. She, her, and he, him. One of them's got nuts. If you need me to tell you which one it is, keep giving your money to Hershey's. But if you're tired of giving your money to woke corporations that hate you, and you're looking for a delicious chocolate bar from a company that actually wants your business, head over to IHateHershey's.com and order Jeremy's chocolate today. <laughs> one of them has nuts. If you need me to tell you which one, keep giving your money to Hershey's. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. You'll have to go check out the video if you haven't seen it, because I think the best part of that promo is Michael Knowles just standing there with a goofy grin on his face. It's, it's brilliant. Expensive candy bars, though. I mean, like $25 for four bars. That's that's wild. I, I don't know if I'll be doing that, but I appreciate the antics anyway. Whatever we have to do to push back against this crazy and stay firmly rooted in reality I'm, I'm down with, because that's exactly what's required. There has to be boldness and no apology for adhering to reality and truth. There has to be unwavering conviction. If you want to live your life in a universe of delusion and make-believe, then fine. Go ahead. Live your life however you want. But the rest of us will not be participating in your madness. We refuse to bow down to Queen Victoria. Psychological concept of the week. Kafka trap. Ibram X. Kendi is back. You know, I so closely associate the Kafka trap with Kendi that I think we, we should rename it the Kendi trap. I think that makes more sense. Because, <laughs> man, it is his favorite tactic. He uses it all the time. But let, let's define it first before we get into that. The Kafka trap is a manipulative tactic wherein the accused is deemed to be guilty of some crime or some negative behavior or attribute because they deny their guilt. <laughs> the logic here is that guilty people deny that they're guilty. Therefore, denial of guilt is actually evidence of guilt. Right. And this is a term that comes from the novel The Trial by Franz Kafka, where a man is put on trial and accused of unspecified crimes, and his defense is considered evidence that he's guilty. Yeah, this is used all the time, all the time, especially in conversations around race. And it is Ibram X. Kendi's favorite tactic. He has even said explicitly that denial is the heartbeat of racism, to accuse people of being racist based on their rejection of the label. 
It's such ridiculous reasoning. And you hear that kind of broken reasoning all the time in these accusations of racism. You're not allowed to defend yourself because defending yourself is seen as further evidence of racism. For instance, if someone accuses you of racism and you say, no, I'm not racist. I have black friends and black family members. They'll mock you and say that this is what racist people say. Therefore, you are racist. (laughs) There's no defense. The only options are to admit that you're guilty or deny that you're guilty, which is further evidence against you and an implicit admission of guilt. The only way out of the trap is to reject the premise. Just reject it altogether. Don't play the game. And this is a little bit of an aside, but there was a video of Kendi that came across my timeline recently that I want to play. Because this dude, man, he is one of the most influential people in this country when it comes to race conversations. And that is extremely unfortunate because he's always making the most insanely awful arguments. Irrational. Just ridiculously bad. And this man's supposed to be an intellectual. Supposed to be an academic. And yet his argument sounds so childish. It sounds like the arguments of some kid in middle school arguing with his teacher about why he should get more recess than everybody else. And maybe that's even giving him too much credit. It's bad. Anyway, he was talking about policies and making the argument that it's not possible to have a race-neutral policy. It's not possible, apparently. So what he's saying is that if you institute a policy in some system and there are racial disparities in that system, then you and your policy are engaging in racism. Here he is. What we sort of show in, in How to Be a Young Anti-Racist is, is that we should be identifying a policy not based on its racial language, not based on even in the intent of the policymaker, but on the outcome. And, and that's why there's racist and anti-racist policies. There, there, there are policies that are leading to and maintaining inequity and injustice that are racist. And then there are policies that are leading to equity and justice. And, and I think if we took that position, we could analyze policies and see which ones are good and which one are bad and who's gaslighting us about the policies that they're making. What drives me crazy is all the people listening to this garbage, nodding their heads in agreement and clapping. What are you doing? That was not remotely insightful. That was not remotely a rational argument. It was extremely idiotic. I mean, none of the people in the audience could think of a single race neutral policy. None. Not a single one. I mean, according to Kendi. If an anti-bullying policy in a school ends up seeing more black students suspended than white students, then it is a racist policy. Even if the black students are guilty of bullying, even if the school is predominantly black, (laughs) this is the foundation of the reasoning. If there are racial disparities, then it's evidence that the system is racist. It's ridiculous. Unsurprisingly, he only applies this reasoning to the things that he wants. 
The fact that NBA teams operate based off merit-based policies that yields a player demographic of around 83% non-white and 17% white, despite white people comprising 60% of the population, that's ignored. By Kendi's definition, that should be considered a racist system. And we should be doing everything we can to bring more white players into the league in the name of racial equity. But nope. I posted this on Twitter and someone responded that they hadn't heard Kendi use this reasoning to address COVID mandates. They're right. He, he explicitly rejected it, actually. And I remembered that he actually did get asked about that and he explicitly rejected that reasoning. If you remember the whole thing with the vaccine and and punishment for not taking the vaccine disproportionately affected black people, supposedly, because black people didn't take the vaccine. Well, he deflected and tried to make it sound like it was an access issue. So he rejected his own reasoning. But listen to this. Understanding incorrectly that like any policy or potential policy that would have a disparate racial impact is a racist policy. So if that's correct, then would vaccine mandates that disproportionately affect people of color, would that be a racist policy? Mm. So there's two different sort of measures currently. Uh, One measure finds that white Americans are most likely to be resistant to getting the vaccine. And then there's another, there's other data that finds that that black and Latinx Americans are the least likely to be vaccinated. And so, as a result, it's hard to say. Uh, uh, But what I will say is, to me, the actual problem isn't the vaccine mandates. The actual problem is when you actually study those, particularly black and Latinx people who aren't vaccinated, you actually talk to them, we're finding that uh, a lack of accessibility to the vaccine for a whole host of reasons is actually leading to them having a lower rate, while with white Americans, it's more or less the result of their political ideology. See, so suddenly, suddenly he has excuses for racial disparities. Suddenly it's it's other things, guys. There's it's these other variables that are contributing to the disparities. Suddenly he understands that you can't have a univariate analysis about uh, about racial disparities. You can't just attribute racial disparities to racial bias. Now, he turned it into an access issue, was which was wrong. He was lying about that, but he rejected his own reasoning and undercut his own argument. And and here it is again. It's that line between incompetence and malevolence. And I tell you, man, these people are too intelligent to be this dumb. And at this point, it has to be intentional. It has to be. He has to know that he's intentionally manipulating people and using fallacious reasoning to do it on purpose. He has to. It's either that or he's so devoted to the religion that he is blind to reason and he'll do whatever he has to do to defend the dogma. But all right, I'm, I'm getting away from the point a bit. The issue here goes well beyond Kendi, even though he's a big, propo- big proponent of this tactic. But the, the bottom line is that they'll push these outlandish accusations that have no basis in reality uh, and no evidence to back them up. 
And if you deny them or push back against them, they'll say that that is evidence and it proves that they're right. Racism is invisible and it's hidden in the systems and only the anointed people with the super spy Dakota rings can see it. While you, you hateful, heartless bigot, just need to shut up and accept that you're a hateful, heartless bigot contributing to racial disparities. Bow down to Queen Victoria. Alright, so this segment is just a short segment where we talk about something random from life and culture. But I, I'd like to know what you guys are interested in, what, what you guys are learning, what you're making and creating, what TV shows you're binging, whatever. So shoot me an email at leonidas at leonidasjohnson.com and let me know. We'll talk about it on the podcast. Alright, so I started learning animation and guys, it is not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, but one thing you should know about me is that I, I can't sit still. I am, as Jordan Peterson would say, extremely high in trait openness, which means that I'm very open to new experiences and I seek out new things to learn and do. People always laugh when I do interviews because of all the things that are in my biography. <laughs> you know, I'm a speech language pathologist. I used to rap. I'm a pianist. I'm a writer, an author, podcaster. Obviously, I'm a theater and film actor, theater director, soccer coach, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I mean, I do things and I'm always trying to find new things to do and add to my list of things. <laughs> I, I just I, I like to learn things. And at the moment, I've decided to learn coding. So I'm learning C++ language. And I've also decided to learn animation. Why? Because why not? Well, animation is my favorite medium, hands down. And I always loved Disney and Pixar, pre-wokeness. And growing up, cartoons made a huge impact on my life and my personality. But I, I don't know. There, there's something about the way that you can tell stories through animation that I really love. And it really resonates with me. Like Avatar The Last Airbender is probably my favorite TV series of all time. Dragon Ball Z would be a close second. But I'm inspired by the possibilities and the stories that can be told through animation. So I'm learning how to do it. Trying to learn, anyway. And I, I, I want to start doing animated shorts, I think, around topics that we talk about in these podcasts, probably. Because storytelling is an effective means of persuasion. And hey, I, I think we need to do what we can to take back the culture. Daily Wire style. Anyway. I don't know how many of you actually have worked with animation before, but I'm using Adobe Animate, which is a 2D animation program. Man, so much goes into it. You don't really realize how much work it requires to just do basic animations. <laughs> I mean, it makes you really appreciate movies like Encanto and Moana and the fact that films like that were able to be finished at all. And it took me forever to animate a bouncing ball that lasted for like 10 seconds. No background or anything, just a ball bouncing across the screen. 
Not even an impressive looking ball, just a shaded circle that's bouncing. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of that ball. It took me a lot of time to do that. So I have a lot of respect for animators. It's a lot of work, but it is also a lot of fun. And I, I would say if you're a creative person, I definitely recommend trying it out. I mean, you don't even have to be great at drawing to do it. But I'm excited to make more than just a bouncing ball. And I'm getting better. I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But it's going to be a little while before I can make any animated shorts that are worth watching. But when I do, and it all blows up into this huge animation empire that puts Disney out of business, remember this episode. Because that's where it all started. All right, guys, let me know if there are any topics you'd like me to tackle in a future podcast. I'm always open to suggestions. Just shoot me an email and make sure you pick up a copy of my new book, Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory, which is available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, and anywhere you get your books. I really appreciate you. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Leonidas, and this has been Informed Dissent. If you would like to support the show, you could do so through donorbox.org slash Leonidas. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. I really appreciate that. Make sure you follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson and check out my website at LeonidasJohnson.com. And I have a Substack now, which is just Leonidas.substack.com. And as always, remember to do your own research, challenge everything, and don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next time. God bless.